0: Ben. Praise the Lord. Big breath. Um, I have a book at home which I refer to from time to time, which is called Every Life, a Plan of God by J. Oswald Saunders. I love to know that every life is a plan of God. And I've used this theme for my message today. In order not to plagiarize, I call this message... <clears throat> Every human life, a plan of God. I have not used any content from this book. So I'm not using anything out of the book. But to back up my claim that every life is a plan of God, I would like to quote Isaiah 45 and 5. And I ask you to turn there with me, please. Isaiah 45 and 5. It says, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. And that uh, word was written to Cyrus, a pagan king who reigned over Persia. He's important in Jewish history because it was under his rule that the Jews were first allowed to return to Israel after 70 years of captivity. Cyrus clearly had no idea that God had a purpose for him. I also like to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we, should work, sorry, that we should walk in them. I'll just repeat that because I didn't have very clear. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Notice three points from the scripture in Ephesians. It says, God has created us. We're not an accident. We're created by God. God has a plan for us. We have a purpose in life, and the plan of God is prepared for us in advance. So speaking directly to you, I would say, God has a plan for you. You are not an accident, men. God has created you, and he has a purpose for your life. And the plan of God is prepared in advance for you. Amen. It's beautiful, and, and uh, it's, it's, these scriptures are amazing. They're profound. They're wonderful, and they're all inspiring And if we can meditate on these scriptures, it'll expel any doubts in our hearts or in our minds that uh, we're not in the plan on the will of God, amen. God has a specific Plan for each and every one of us, Amen. He brings us together as the body of Christ, and He has a plan for us as a group. He has a plan for us as a body. But when we go home to our separate ways and we go into our separate lives, there's a plan for each and every one of us. God has a purpose for you. I don't want to be second best, Amen. I don't want to be third best. I want to be right in the middle of the will of God and and follow His plan. It's not always easy. I'm not saying that it's always an easy road, but there is a plan. Specifically for you and for me. There is a plan of God for me. Amen. Not only does God have a plan for each of us, but he loves us too. The love of God is vital to our walk and relationship with Him. In John one verse, I mean in one John verses four and nineteen it says, We love Him because He first loved us. And we are expected to reciprocate that love. We are expected to love God back again because he says in Matthew chapter 22 and 37, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Remembering that he first loved us. And then in verse 38 it says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now that's God's love. In our human love, we don't always love our neighbors as we love ourselves. In our human love, sometimes we can struggle to do that. But God says we must love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm sorry, I'm very dry. I have to have a, a mouthful of water. There is no love without God. God is the source of love and true love. He, love is his nature. And I want to quote some scriptures that illustrate his love. In an extract for 1 John 4 and 7, it says, beloved, let us love one another for God is love. In 1 John 4 and 8, it says again, for God is love. 1 John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Romans 5 and 8 says, but God commendeth his love towards us, In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. God's love is very different from human love. God's love is unconditional. And it's not based on feelings of emotions. He doesn't love us because we make him feel good. Or because we're lovable. Or um, because we have worked hard to get him to notice us. None of those reasons. But he loves us because he is love. We are created to have a loving relationship with him and he sacrificed his own son who willingly died for us to restore that relationship that was lost because of the fall of man. The love of God is selfless without flowing concern for the good of others. We read in Exodus 33 that there is a personal and close relationship going on between God and Moses. Moses implored God to show him his glory But God replied to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God also said that Moses would not be able to see his face, because no man should see God's face and live. But for Moses to experience the glory of God, God told him to stand upon a rock. And that when the glory of God passed by, God would place Moses in the cleft of a rock. And he would put his hand over Moses' face so that Moses would not see uh, God's face. And as God's glory passed by, he would take his hand away and Moses would see the back parts. That was a, a very close relationship that God had with Moses. And Moses was able to respond in that the loving nature of God is revealed in Exodus 34. And here I quote, extracts from verses 6 and 7. The Lord God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. It's a very powerful uh, word that about God forgiving the iniquity because he's such a holy God. And yet we are sinful people and full of iniquity. But he can forgive that, uh, that sin and that iniquity he can wash it away he can cleanse us from it and he doesn't see it anymore we ask him to forgive us we ask him to take it away we ask him to forgive us repent of it and he sees it no more amen even even when we're living for christ if we fall and we stumble and we do something wrong if we immediately go to ask and ask god or beg your pardon ask him to forgive us repent of it he will Amen. And he will not only forgive us, but he will cleanse us from that unrighteousness. Amen. And he doesn't see it anymore. Amen. We are sometimes dragged into the past and held back there by things that we have done wrong. We need to cut that out of our lives and say, I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm saved by his grace. Amen. And we will have victory. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, when, when Jesus was preparing the twelve apostles to be sent out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to heal the sick and cast out devils, he gave them many instructions to carry out. And he tells them of difficulties and persecutions they can expect to encounter. But he said in Matthew 10 and 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? but the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The scripture shows the perfect knowledge that God has for his, his children and the loving and great care he takes of all these creatures, particularly man and especially his children, those that are following him, those that are faithful to him. As God notices a sparrow that falls on the ground, He also notices a single hair of man's head which falls to the ground. That's intimate. That's very close and personal. Brother Frost, he's got his eye on you. We may think poorly of ourselves, but God sees our potential. God is concerned about the little things in our life as well as the big problems and needs. If he would go so far as to number the hairs on our heads, he clearly loves us very much. This is a close relationship. Man's worth to God is much greater than all the other things created. And man, of course, is created in the image of God. It is difficult to exaggerate how loving God is. And it's because of this love that he does have a plan for every individual life. His plan for us is from our place on this earth through to eternity... This loving God is who I want to have a plan for my life and allow him to plan my life. How about you? Amen. You want to be in his plan and allow him to plan your life. It's safe. We all like to return to John chapter 1, please. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, this is a very favorite and well-known scripture, and you can probably just quote it yourselves. But in the translation from Greek to English, Logos is Greek for word. And the meaning of Logos is plan and or purpose. So then going to John 1 and 14, we read, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You'll notice in the scripture that Word is written with a capital W. And this refers to the incarnation of Christ. The scripture clearly states that the Word became flesh. And it clearly states that in the beginning, God had um, the Word was there. and, And that plan for us, the plan that God had, was clearly right from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. God had that plan from the beginning, and that plan is salvation of all mankind, which only comes to us by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how do we receive salvation? Does it, does it arrive wrapped gift-wrapped on the breakfast table on a Sunday morning? Does it fall out of the sky? Are we forced into a place where we have no option but to receive it? No, to, no to all of these suggestions. It comes to us because we are drawn by God to salvation. Jesus said that no man come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him. We need to be drawn to God by God. Because the natural and unregenerated man has no ability or desire to come to God. Neither does he realize his need for God. However, once he has responded to God's drawing and makes a decision to commit his life to God, understanding comes. In Ephesians 1 and 8 it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of, his, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Not everybody comes to God in dramatic circumstances. Most of the time, it's in response to come, follow me. But sometimes it takes dramatic circumstances to cause us to look to God. I'm not saying that God creates these circumstances, but definitely He can use them to stop us in our tracks and take a look. Notwithstanding this, every conversion to God is nothing short of a miracle. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15 and 10, there is joy in the presence of the angels in heaven when one sinner repents. It's a miracle. My reference to a dramatic call today is that of Apostle Paul. He was traveling to Damascus with a letter from the high priest in Jerusalem, giving him permission to arrest everyone and anyone, man or woman, who was a follower of Christ and bring them bound to Jerusalem. It is important to note that he was very zealous in his mission and he believed he was in the will of God. We all know the details whereby God stopped him with the bright light from heaven shining on him and he fell to the earth and he heard God's voice. With all the supernatural activity taking place, he was ready to hear from God, ready to receive and ready to possess the truth. He was ready to surrender his cause and gain Christ and Christ's cause not only to listen, but to do. The light was so bright, and he was blinded for three days. His sight was restored when Ananias, sent by God, laid his hands on him and prayed for his eyesight to be restored and that he be filled with the Holy Ghost. At the same time, he was baptized. Paul's life and his beliefs were completely turned around by the encounter, and he committed himself to Christ completely. Paul was stopped in his tracks by God. In Paul's own words in Philippians 3 and 12, he says, He was apprehended for Christ. The word apprehend means to take hold of. So, for understanding, when reading the word apprehend, we can say, I follow after, this is in Philippians chapter 3 and 12, I follow after, if that I may take hold of that for which also I am taken hold of Christ Jesus. In the New International Version, it says, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. When we have that initial conversion, when we, when we come to God in the first place, and even as we walk with the Lord in our journey, there's a great deal to take hold of. Amen. But Christ has stopped us. He's drawn us to him. He's, he's given us his salvation. But the journey continues. There's a great deal to take hold of. There's a great deal to learn. And the journey lasts. Amen. It was only a matter of days after his conversion that Paul began to preach Jesus Christ. No believer should sit still but continue in Christ and press on to perfection, which means maturing in Christ. There is still a need for laborers. At the time of writing the epistle to the Philippians, Paul had been converted and walking in the way for approximately 25 years. During this time, he had wholly and completely given himself to serve God. He had experienced a great deal. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 22 and 33, he he gives an account of his labors and sufferings, not out of pride or vainglory, but to the honor of God, who enabled him to do and suffer much for the cause of Christ. He was in prison in Rome when he wrote this epistle to the Philippians. Going back on history, Paul ministered at Philippi, which is the city of Macedonia, during his second missionary journey in 49 to 52 AD. He responded to the Macedonian call, which was a vision in the night of a man of Macedonia asking Paul to come over and help. During this first stay in Philippi, Paul brought faith in Christ to the people, and this was the birth of the church in Philippi. It was also in this missionary journey that Paul and Silas were beaten with stripes and jailed because they had cast out an evil spirit from a certain damsel. But instead of being downcast and nursing their wounds at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. The jailer, waking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he supposed that the prisoners had fell, and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, but Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then the jailer called for a light. He ran into the prison and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. The result of all this was that the Philippian jailer and his household were saved and baptized. It is fair to say that God had a plan for the Philippian jailer. It's fair to say that the Philippian jailer uh, jailer came and he, he found that plan for God and he began to serve God. Considering Paul's lineage and background from the tribe of Benjamin, considering his education, his call to be a missionary, his experience and experiences, his travels, his suffering and anointing, and that he is a great outstanding spiritual teacher and example, he never considers himself to have arrived. He reveals that he has not yet come to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and conformity to his death in a complete and total way. The journey goes on. We know that uh, Paul is a giant in serving the Lord. We know what a great example he is and what he went through to serve the Lord and to remain serving the Lord. But he continued to travel the journey, and he, um, he continued in the will of the Lord. Philippians 3 and 13 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus He presses towards the mark. That's pressing. Uh, It doesn't indicate an easy work, uh, an easy walk. It doesn't indicate an easy time. It doesn't indicate laying back. It indicates exertion. It indicates determination. It indicates pressing on. It indicates keeping our eyes upon the Lord for ourselves that are walking that walk at all times. We can't sit back and we can't lay back. Amen. We need to continue in the Lord. Apostle Paul has a long-term attitude, and that should be our attitude too. Christian growth is a lifelong process. There are none of us who have arrived, and I say this, we still have a distance to go. As Paul, we continue to know more and more of Jesus. It is God who knows the exact time of the end of our individual journeys, but in the meantime, it is important to press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It is wise to follow this example. It is wise to keep the goal in sight. We all have a mark to press towards. In comparing to an athlete, imagine the athlete stretching forward to reach the finish line. The Christian life is not a quick 100-yard dash. It is a lifelong marathon. Paul had been in this race for approximately 25 years when he penned the words, I press toward the mark. I am pushing on. Paul speaks about being minded in verse 15, which speaks of attitude. Attitude is very important and has a lot to do with our state of mind or mental view. It has been known... That a less experienced athlete can win because of a correct and a good attitude. If allowed, problems and hardships can become stumbling blocks to continued growth. This should not be so and was not so in the life of Paul. To break down Philippians 3 verses 13, it says, Forget those things which are behind. Reach for those things which are before. Press on in the present. Considering the example of an athlete, looking back would slow the runner runner down and entangle his thoughts. He can lose sight of the precise and specific goal ahead, and his 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 present pressing will be hindered because he's caught up in all of those things that he's looking back to. Paul says don't look back, but continue and press towards that mark. If we've got problems and difficulties, which we all have, we can cast our burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain us. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So it's a, it's a blessing to be able to, as we're going forward and pressing forward, to cast our burdens on the Lord. God says his mercies are new every morning. His grace is with us. God will never give us a, a, a calling or a task that his grace will not cover. He won't go out of that, and there will be grace to cover that which he has called us unto. Spiritual life is a continual battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Discipline is a daily requirement, and there is no quick and easy way. As an athlete, it is important to stay in shape. I'm nearly at the end of my message already. Could we have the pianist, please? The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus will be received when each individual journey is over, when each individual plan has been fulfilled, and we are sure that he will be with each individual in the fulfilling of that plan. To help pressing toward the mark, we can follow the advice Apostle Paul gave to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Even though Paul wrote this letter from prison, it contains a constant theme of rejoicing, the words joy and rejoice are used 16 times in the short epistle of four chapters. Paul made it very clear in Philippians 3 that the personal relationship that he had with the Lord is the key factor of his joy. Today in your own personal relationship with the Lord and his plan for your life, let us take advice of Paul and let us rejoice. Amen. And I'm not, I'm not calling us to the altar this morning. I want us to rejoice in the Lord, and we have some songs prepared. Let us rejoice because God's plan is an individual plan for you and for me. Amen. And he knows every hair upon our heads, as I said right in the very beginning. And he wants, us that, he wants that plan that he has for us to be fulfilled in our lives. We are not happy when we're outside of that plan. We're only happy when we are in in that plan and walking with the Lord. And we're not going to have all the answers. We can feel the call of God. We can sometimes know His will particularly and specifically for certain areas of our lives. We're not going to have the answers, but we need to continue. And we are going to grow and develop in the Lord. It's it's wonderful to keep on in Him. And daily as we come to Him, as, as we try to discipline our lives and come to Him, more and more is open to us. We develop greater and greater in the Lord in every areas of our lives. So I'd like us to rejoice this morning. I'd like us to sing that chorus. Um, it's the Holy Ghost and fire. Let's.